2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
3: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is uh, Jeffrey Hirsch. Uh, he is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders' Almanac, uh, which we'll tell you more about. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey.
4: Oh, thanks for having me, Jordan. Good to be here.
3: Just give us uh, your background a little bit and the history of the Stock Traders Almanac, uh, kind of how it got to where it is today, before we get into what some of the things it offers.
4: Well, sure. My uh, illustrious father and mentor um, started the research for the Almanac and incorporated the Hearst organization be- just before I was born, while I was still in utero, as it were. So I was uh, gestated and weaned on the thing. He had um, been at a place called Indicator Digest, which was a – uh, proving grounds for analysts and writers and, and um, that sort of thing. And after working with all these indicators for the better part of the early 60s, he had the epiphany to uh, combine them all um, you know, in a calendar format. I grew up around it. Um, you know, Pack books shipped to the mailroom. did customer service ran numbers on the adding machine before we converted to uh, MS DOS, Excel, back in the early '90s, and um, I had spent some time studying philosophy and liberal arts at the American University. And after um, searching for my uh, calling and uh, trying to fight getting into the family business in 1990, I chose to come and join uh, Yale. And uh, eventually, um, you know, after about ten years, so I took over the business from him.
3: So, to kind of give us the the uh, ethos behind it, that that there are Cycles and patterns uh, from the past that can really help you make a better uh, trader today. Explain well, how, how that well, works.
4: We've, <clears throat> what we've seen is that there are uh, recurring, um, regular, recurring historical and seasonal patterns. Some of them have changed over the years, but for the most part, they continue to uh, track the the um, you know regular behaviors of society and, and humanity, and that's sort of the crux of the thing there. And, and what you know the uh, I guess feeling of the book, the ethos of the book was to put it all in order, so that when you are entering October, you have all of the seasonal tendencies of October in front of you with reminders, and uh, make it as though a, sort of a trader's workbook where you can uh, track your trades, see what's coming up, um, you know, in the seasonal uh, pattern area, and um, you know, be able to capitalize on them and get some advance notice on it.
3: So, what is it that creates these uh, seasonal patterns that you can rely on. I mean, it's just because something happened one year ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. Why does that mean
4: uh, it should happen today? Well, I mean, the the basic thing is we are creatures of habit as uh, a society and as individuals. I mean, starting from, uh, you know, intraday, I mean, everyone pretty much gets up the same time every day, has breakfast, lunch, uh, that sort of thing um, at the same time. But that's why you see these intraday patterns where you see, you know, a morning pop in the in the market, you see a little dip to around ten o'clock and then a little uh rally up until the lunch hour and then, you know, you get a uh low point around two o'clock or so. So uh then you have the monthly patterns where people are paying their bills and then making their you know the I guess one of the big changes of the monthly pattern was the bi weekly or the you know the um the four oh one K regular investments that everyone had. So that became a big and has become a big influence on seasonal patterns. It's just this flow of money that comes in twice a month and that's where we see these Strong periods of the month, the beginning and end of month, like the last few days, the first few days, and then that little pop in the middle, where you see the mid-month in- investment of 401k money, and um, you know spreading out further, you have the you know seasonal tendencies of of, uh, of you know our culture to sort of uh take a lot of time off starting around Memorial Day and running through Labor Day we see volume dip off we see the market you know not gaining a whole lot of ground net uh, on average over the years from from May through August and even into September and October um you know when you spread that out a little bit further uh you see the influence of the presidential election every 4 years where the 4 year cycle creates a big uh, pop on the the third year the year we're in now usually Um, We are uh, at risk for for having the first losing, you know, pre-presidential election year um, since war-torn 1939. But uh, it currently looks like we we may have turned the tide here again in October and uh, end up positive for the year. And then there's some longer-term patterns um, that we can get into also. Okay. Um,
3: Now, have you been running a portfolio and offering a newsletter based on these patterns, and what kind of performance has that had over the long run compared to the market benchmarks?
4: Well, I mean, the, the best six-month switching strategy has, has outpaced the market, uh, you know, quite well. It, it has had a, a, a couple of off years, which, you know, is often the case when you have, um, uh, you know, an overarching financial crisis and recession like we had in, uh, you know, 73, 74. It was the first back-to-back um Losing best six months period from, uh, uh, you know, since then that we had from 07 to 08 and 08 to 09, which is one of the reasons why I think we may have hit bottom there because that's the first time we've had that since the 70s. Um, I don't currently run money for people, but the portfolio in the newsletter, um, you know, has, uh, has done pretty well. Uh, I think some of the, you know, actual, um, trading executions we've gotten better at over the last several years. So we're, we're improving on that.
3: So are you normally recommending people buy uh, broad indexes to play these trends or individual companies or industries? And what is the best way to play these when trends? It, when it comes identify? to,
4: you know, sector index trading, we use uh, some select ETFs, which um, have done pretty well over the last few years. Uh, when it comes to small stocks, being, um, you know, uh, sort of a, a smaller uh, analyst here, I, I like to sort of pick things that are um, – less followed and, and, you know, off the radar. So I, I tend to, towards the smaller microcap stocks when it comes to individual stock recommendations in our portfolio, I leave the, those. Are, those uh, are not based on the timing indicators. That's that's kind of
3: separate uh, yeah, individual um, there stock are, analysis. There are
4: some benchmark stocks that, you know, we talk about trading, but when it comes to the sector seasonalities, we, you know, we use the, uh, I mean, the advent of the ETF has, has been a boon for the, you know, seasonal trading where it used to be quite difficult to buy the Dow or the S&P, um, of course, the SUV is the first one. So, you know, we can trade this best six month period, uh, you know, using the spiders, the diamonds, the, the cubes, the Russell uh, 2000, the IWM, or, you know, any of those things. And we also use a good uh, bunch of those ETFs for the, you know, energy sector and, and technology and all the other ones.
3: Okay, good. Uh, let's start with some of the uh, indicators that you've got over the long term. And starting in the beginning of January. Uh, What are some of the most famous and and significant January uh, barometers, and uh, when you see it happen, what impact does that have on people's portfolios?
4: Well, um, you know, you you mentioned the word barometer. I guess the the granddaddy of them all is the January barometer, which sometimes gets confused by people with the January effect. Uh, The January barometer was devised by the um, aforementioned Yale Hirsch, uh in seventy two which basically uh says that as as the S and P goes in January so goes the year. Um, you know, nothing's perfect, but uh every single down January has been followed by either a ten percent correction, a flat year, or a bear market. So when uh the market's down in January it's it's not a good indication for the for the rest of the year. So a bunch of things that create this indicator and it was the um thirty third amendment to the Constitution that moved the uh, uh, inauguration of presidents into January and also had um, the lame duck amendment also had Congress convening, uh, you know, in January as opposed to the following December 13, uh, 13 months later. So that has been the, uh, you know, reason for the January barometer. Um, but we got a couple of early indications. I, I guess the the other thing is called the Santa Claus rally, which people, uh, you know, tend to um, confuse or, or, or have any sort of year-end rally, but the one that we follow that we, you know, use as an indicator is the last five days of the year and the first two of the New Year, so that period between Christmas and New Year's and a little bit after there, and the phrase that we have, if Santa Claus should fail to call, bears may come to broaden wall, which is just a nice little rhyme indicating that there's usually... Some net buying there at year end and into the beginning of the year and when it doesn't appear, it's often a um indication that there is a you know bearish bias out there. It was a couple of good warnings we've had recently, uh, you know, just the ninety nine to two thousand, uh we had a loss of four percent during that period. That was a bit of a telegraph. We also had the oh seven, oh eight, uh negative two and a half percent on the S right and P right then, a little bit of a you know, heads up for uh a, a troubled time is the first five days of the year, which is sort of an early warning system, not as reliable as the as the full month, but um you know, those are the 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 basic January ones. And 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 to just clarify, you know, the January effect is the tendency for small stocks to outperform large caps in January. And we've seen that shift over the years and we see most of those gains where we use the Russell two thousand versus the Russell one thousand has uh the bulk of its outperformance uh, during the last two weeks of the year.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Um, so is there some reason why uh, you know things going up or down in January affects the rest of the year? Is it kind of getting things off to a good or bad start? Or is there some sense to all this?
4: It's not so much how it affects it. It's the fact that you get a reading on the um, consensus uh, of the market for w- what the year um, is going to look like. I mean, you get a basic reading from, uh, you know, the government. You've got uh, State of the Union addresses. You've got new Congresses convening. You've got every analyst uh, and financial publication posting, you know, outlooks and forecasts, and everyone pretty much lays down uh, where they think the year is going to be, and, you know, traders and investors do so uh, in the marketplace. And that's what, you know, gives January that, uh that capacity to sort of forecast the year.
3: Uh, Tell me before we go to a break here about uh, what your website uh, is, how you can find out more about the Stock Traders Almanac and what kind of things they'll see with your newsletter.
4: Uh, Very simply, stocktradersalmanac.com. With the newsletter, we have an ETF scoreboard of uh, the ETF universe. We have a monthly strategy based upon the different seasonalities in the Almanac and other observations about what we our outlook is going forward, we have individual stock recommendations based upon, you know, new trends, uh, small cap, micro cap stocks, uh, ETF trades for the seasonalities, and, uh, you know, other different interesting um, articles from, from some outside uh, uh, contributors as well.
3: And how much is a subscription once you uh, sign up? Subscription. I think the
4: deal is about one hundred and seventy-nine dollars a year. You get a free copy of the Stock Traders Almanac, which is now retail forty-five dollars. I'm sure you can get it for quite a discount at Amazon and everywhere else. Um, and you also get uh, we do it with two uh, of these alerts a week. All these are, these articles and recommendations we put them out on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, there's also a blog that's that's free that we do post um, every day that the markets open. Uh, sometimes it relates to what we're writing about in the newsletter. Sometimes it's uh, other um, observations and, and analysis. Also have a Twitter handle, at AlmanacTrader. Trader. been uh, having some, some fun and uh, getting some good feedback and, and uh, conversations with people on Twitter as well. Very good.
3: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Jeffrey Hirsch. He is the editor-in-chief of Stock Traders Almanac, and we'll be back after this.
1: go green you've asked and we've heard you voice america presents the green talk network If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel the boardroom to you voice america business network
2: you've been listening to the money answer show with jordan goodman if you have a question for jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to jordan
3: welcome back to the money answer show this is jordan goodman your host my guest this hour is jeffrey hirsch he is the editor-in-chief of the stock traders almanac welcome back to the show jeff Hey, thank you. We have a uh, presidential election uh, starting here. Tell us what some of the presidential election cycles uh, are and how those might affect the stock market and what you expect over the next year or so.
4: Well, the big cycle is the four-year cycle, where we generally see the first two years of a president's term uh, accompanied by bear markets, wars, and and recessions. And the latter two years, uh, the third year, which we're in right now, we call the pre-election year. And the election year um more uh, littered with bull markets and prosperity and peace. Um, this is based upon the general drive of any incumbent uh, president or party to uh, retain the, the the office. So what they do is they come in in the first couple of years and generally you know take care of things that are uh, a little less favorable, a little tougher, kind of uh, maybe bite the bullet a little bit and then when the third year comes around and they <clears throat> start uh, gearing up to uh, campaign and get reelected either for themselves or their their, their party they begin to what we call prime the pump they uh will you know increase social security payments do uh, new you know spending packages and and all sorts of things uh... that gives the you know performance for the third year uh, you know we go back to even 1833 in one of our one of our tables you know if you want to go back that far with the uh, Third year produces a 10.5% gain on average. Uh, the election year, 5.8%, and the first two years are 2% and 4.2%. Um, if you start from the World War II, it, it, it gets even more inflated because the the point is that the pre-election year, the third year, has not had a loss since '39, when uh, Germany invaded Poland. So, but for this cycle, as we all know. The, um, there's not a whole lot of ammunition left in the chamber for the federal government, uh, the Federal Reserve, the White House, uh, uh, you know, the the, the Congress and are, are not working all that well together. They've put a lot of money in, uh, you know, and I I don't see that there's a whole lot of um, you know arrows left for them to be firing into the economy to get it going. So uh, they're trying to
3: do a jobs move, but what happens if? You propose something, but it doesn't happen. I mean, that's what's likely here, is the president has proposed yes. kind of a pump I mean, priming, and it, it looks unlikely to happen. So has that happened in the past, and therefore the third-year effect doesn't really take hold if it doesn't go into effect?
4: Not not as, but not as bad as this in a long time. I mean, there's some third years that have been pretty weak, you know, a couple percent, single digits. So, you know, 07 for the most recent example. uh we got hit with the uh collapse of the you know credit market and, and and all that stuff and that and that kept the third year down at the end so um looks like we're we're gonna rally to to positive territory by the thirty by december thirty first but <clears throat> I don't think there's a whole lot they can do next year, and if they don't get this jobs built through or some sort of big um policy initiative to stimulate uh, you know, at least people's psyches and confidence, if not the economy itself uh the market's gonna be you know Held in check, and it's going to keep uh, the prospects of you know Obama's re-election uh, much lower.
3: You also say that war can be a major factor in presidential races. Now, I guess you consider we're at war now. How does war affect uh, the stock market as, as it relates to presidential? Well, you know,
4: if you look back to Roosevelt when you know he was pretty much uh, considered to be doing a, a, a bang-up job and everyone was behind the, you know, the, the military action. That's one of the reasons he's able to continue to be reelected. Right here, even though, recently, John Boehner has, has uh, complimented uh, the Obama administration on its its execution of the, of the war over there in Iraq and, and Afghanistan, I don't think it's as much of an effect right now because it's been going on for so long. Think back to the, <clears throat> you know, end of Vietnam when uh it, it wasn't really having a positive effect on um you know the the republican administration that had you know uh, uh, in, you know inherited it from uh you know the <laughs> the democratic administrations that started i mean that had been going on for a long time so if it's a big positive uh, effect i think like we had with with uh, you know bush's reelection the w's reelection i I think you can you can have a positive effect where wartime presidents get re-elected. But right here, I'm not sensing Obama being deemed as wartime president. He's sort of mopping up. It, wartime
3: meaning that the country rallies behind them. Uh, that's what's what's good about it. And there's a lot of spending on the war that stimulates the economy. That's the exactly. typical way. It it,
4: you know, you have a, a positive effect to the economy and to the sort of um, general, you know, feeling in the country, this patriotism that, that gets them to rally around, around the, you know, the... The commander-in-chief at the time.
3: That's definitely not what we're feeling now. I would say I,
4: I'm not feeling it. Okay. I don't think the Occupy Wall Street uh, movement is feeling it either.
3: And then, how about incumbent victories versus incumbent defeats? Uh, right. How does that typically play out in the stock market?
4: Well, again, you have a popular president doing well, which means that there's an economy, uh, you know, in good shape, and you know, you see much better performance in the market. Um, with in, incumbent, excuse me, incumbent presidents winning. Uh, you usually see, you know, positive beginning of the year, um, and a positive end of the year. You, you don't, have, we've only had two losses in the last seven months of election years. Uh, one of them was affected by the, uh, you know, undecided election in 2000, and, uh, 08 was, um... quite a troubled year as we all remember. Um so normally you have a positive, um, impact, you've got, uh, you know, average gains, uh, for, for winning years, you know, about 10%, and average gains for, for, uh, when incumbents lose, about 2.5%. So you're looking at, uh, you know, we try to, you can try to use this in sort of in an inverse manner. If, if you have a good reading on what the, you know, popularity or effectiveness of the incumbent administration is, you can sort of gauge, how well the market is going to do um i mean i it, it, it's it's definitely uh not a a a fine a fine science there but uh you know wall street's usually doesn't do so well when there's uncertainty uh, down in washington and when you have um you know an incumbent losing especially a first term president that um indicates that things aren't so uh in such good shape in the economy and in the market so that's one of the things I'm concerned about for next year.
3: You also keep track of the second year of decades, and since we're going to be going into 2012, what typically happens in the second year of decades?
4: Well, you know, it's it's the, the, the decennial cycle is is not um, as powerful as the four year cycle. There's not as much of a um, you know event that occurs that that creates a, a, a pattern. But you know, we've seen some. Some sizable losses we've seen some bottoms uh, you know we had the the October 2002 low we had the August 82 low we've had the 1932 low so um, we've seen some bottoms but uh, you know I, I think the you know most of those have been in in, in midterm years and, and it being an election year I would put more um, more influence on the election year aspect of than just the second year
3: Okay, um, you, you talk about how the uh, government can prime the pump uh, to stay in power. Um, does that usually work, or is it, is, it, is it the level now that's never going to happen again because we have such deficits that it's not as you put it, there's not bullets left, there's no pr- uh, I, I priming to be done
4: again, I, I I'd, I'd be skeptical of, of them being able to do do much, uh, at least this cycle um, right here for for 2011 and 2012. And perhaps the next one. I think we're going to need to have um, a a leader who can persuade Congress and not get uh, uh, persuaded by them and really, you know, drive drive the policymaking. And also you need to have. Um, some some functionality some uh some simpatico some working together from uh both branches and both sides of the aisle and we are definitely not in that position right now so so until such time i think it's going to be difficult for an incumbent to prime the pump and that's one of the other reason we remain concerned about the prospects for you know you know new highs in 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 2012
3: now there's this commission this commission of 12 uh
4: six democrats six republicans
3: yes uh, that's going to be cutting spending dramatically, either voluntarily or involuntarily. What, what is your expect, expectations of the impact of that, no matter how they come out with it, of the effect on the economy and the markets?
4: Considering we've heard next to nothing, and I believe their their deadline is what Thanksgiving, if memory serves. That's right. My expectations are somewhat low. Um, I think it – I'm not sure that these automatic cuts are, are, are going to go through, but it will definitely – Cause a stir and, and, and might uh, could have a negative impact on the market, which you know they're going to work something out. So it could be another little chance to get in there that little November dip before Thanksgiving. So
3: has that happened before? We've had major cuts being put through before uh, election years.
4: I, I mean, not
0: there
4: have there are things that have been cut, but it's not something that you generally see. I, I mean, I can't understand why you want to be cutting. Uh, you know, an economy that's, that's that's struggling. I mean I understand cutting deficits, but there there has to be some sort of compromise and and there's there's very little um, feeling uh, you know from my part that there's going to be some sort of compromise. So it's going to have to be forced, and I don't think Wall Street is going to love that. I think it's going to be you know a short term negative on the on the market when when that deadline rolls around.
3: You also track what you call the December low indicator. Uh, yeah. Would you say is a good prognosticating tool. How does that one work?
4: Well, um, there's a, whatever the closing low is in, in December of the of the Dow becomes sort of a line in the sand, and if that low is breached in the first quarter of the new year, uh, it's definitely an indication that uh, things go lower. When used in conjunction with the January barometer, it's done it's done quite well at forecasting market downturns. So it's it's kind of a technical, you know, uh, support level. Um, the fact that, you know, you have that point in December where the, the low point it, it, sort of that uh, that support level when that gets breached generally indicates that we've got some further to go on the downside.
3: So, okay, but if you see the, the Dow hitting a low in December. Uh, whatever the low
4: you, point is, it could be December 1. The, the, you know, you could have a gain every day in December, but whatever the closing low is, is that, you know, level. So okay. that's a, buy,
3: a, a, a buying opportunity you're saying? Uh, or only if it's
4: not
2: breached no, no, in the it, following month? It's,
4: it's sort of a, you know, a, a warning sign. have uh-huh. seen, you know, after, after that low gets crossed in the first quarter, you've seen uh, average, you know, declines of, of uh, you know, 10.9% on the Dow.
2: So that's a real,
3: you just notice it, if it gets breached in January, then that's not a real January, warning sign. First quarter. Says, first quarter. Are you also a believer in, in DAO theory and the transports and the, uh, the Dow and their interaction?
4: Not a, not a card-carrying member, but I do look at it. I have, <laughs> I have talked about it. Uh, it's not something that I um, follow, you know, that, that I subscribe to completely, but, but I think there is some effect to it. When you have two major indices, you know, making new lows, uh, I, I think it's, you know, a valid sell. So we had that this year. Um, Sometimes I think it's a little bit late, you know. Almost like we've had the bear market call here in, uh, you know, late September. You know, by by some metrics, and it's right around the time where where it starts to turn. You know, everyone is interested. Oh, it's a bear market when it's down twenty percent. Well, if it's already down twenty percent, you're getting pretty close to the end of it. So,
3: That's very good. All right, we're gonna take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jeffrey Hirsch. Uh, he is the editor in chief of the Stock Traders Almanac. And we'll be back after this.
2: You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
3: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jeff Hirsch. Uh, he is the editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders Almanac and also the Commodity Traders Almanac. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thanks. Good to be back. I want to spend a little time on the Commodity Traders Almanac. You say there are some important seasonal moves in commodities. Uh, why don't we start with the energy complex, oil and natural gas? What are some of the major seasonal moves there?
4: Well, you know, that kind of runs um, close to the uh, uh, actual stocks that, uh, you know, produce them. You know, you see, um, you know, what run from, uh, you know, late late in the year to mid-year based upon the uh, – you know, kind of get a December low and also a February low where you're looking at the sort of ramp up to, uh, uh, um, heating season and driving season. Uh, so we have a couple of nice moves from the, you know, December through, um, uh, December to February was where these bottoms are formed and then it runs up through the early summer, June, July. Uh, so we'll be looking to get into some of that on, on, you know, both the stock, uh, sector that produces, that, that produce and market these things and also the, you know, Underlying commodities, so you know we're looking at a uh, um, couple of different, uh, uh, you know, seasonal moves in, in you know, in the uh, crude oil. You look, you're getting in here in in, in September. You get that move in through uh, uh, early December is a good move for for crude oil. Um, you know, that's uh, uh, that's the short side. Excuse me. Um, and then uh, we see a couple of good trades for both um, crude and natural gas, uh, you know, going from February through May. The stocks, uh, based on that, run a little bit longer, sort of start earlier and run a little bit later. Um, you can see the, uh, you know, sell-off in, in, in energy uh, recently is actually running right into the seasonal um, downdraft that, that, you know, we see on a historical basis.
3: And then how about metals, particularly the precious metals, gold and silver? What are some seasonalities there?
4: Um you know, there's a couple of, like, the trades in the Commodity Almanac are a little bit shorter because you base it on the, the expiring contract. So uh, some of those moves are a little bit contained. Uh, interesting, you know, we've always had a fourth quarter move in gold going back to the beginning of the Stock Traders' Almanac days, and we still see some positive uh, uh, fourth quarter moves here. Um, we were looking for a little bit of a low point, uh, you know, pullback in gold to get in. Uh, we got that. There's a move from late August through September um there's also you know there's, there's there's a short trade uh through the in mo- a month of October in gold and then we get long again um just before the uh, uh the Christmas holiday sort of a Thanksgiving and Christmas trade comes in around mid month um for November and then uh goes to the beginning of December so that's a sort of a shorter term on the gold side um silver uh, on a commodity basis it's sort of hard to track that uh with the way the contracts are traded so we don't actually have a um you know full blown long silver trade in the commodity traders almanac, but we tend to go get into that around the same time with the gold traders because it usually tracks it. Copper, uh another one we track. Um, you know, the saying uh every bull market has a copper top or copper has a PhD in economics. Well, you know, we sort of use that to uh our benefit to sort of call the top a little bit this year when copper topped that a little bit before the stock market did. Um, there's a long move from from copper from late October all the way through May, uh, and then there's a short move uh, in the you know June uh, late June to early August period, which we pretty much experienced uh, quite closely to the historical seasonality. So that, uh, copper
3: is very economically sensitive and giving you an indication of things getting better or worse in the economy. Is that right?
4: Yes, exactly. Um, some of the other industrial metals are as well, but uh, you know you see. It, it sort of runs with the, you know, construction and, and you know, economic uh, um, expansion because copper is part of everything. It's in wires and pipes and, you know, it's used all over the place. So it, it's definitely a good economic indicator.
3: So what is that telling you lately? Uh, what's going on with copper?
4: Well, it, as I was saying, it told me uh, in March and April when the, the stock seasonal season was ending and copper had already made a top that we were, you know, looking like we were heading down and, and we have and and copper looks to be you know, bottoming very typically in in, in the um, you know latter part of the year we're ready to get back into it uh, haven't quite seen the, the move that that, I, that I'm ready to jump in yet but the you know the copper move is is bull move is, is uh, upon us at the end of this month
3: and then you look at the grains like uh, soybeans and uh, wheat and corn what what kind of seasonality is there and how do you play that one
4: um, you know, one of the things that we try to do and in, in my my co-author John Person is a big proponent of this is is we try to track um an individual stock uh that that's a good benchmark for for these things. So we'll look for, you know, makers or you know, when it comes to soybeans like the crushers and and and, and those companies that that do very well um you know, what, what, and track cracks soybean prices well. So for, you know, example, you have the uh um you know, the seasonal the harvest lows which um, we're getting into right here for for um, soybeans and uh, I guess the stock that we have there is this um what's this big soybean producer uh, Bunge is, the, is is the the stock that tracks it in Monsanto also. So you know we have a a sort of a short um, soybean trade end of October based upon the you know the harvest lows as they say it's just a uh, looks like a, a 16 trading day uh um, it's a, excuse me a 12 trading day trade you get in the end of october out in early september and um you, know, you can track uh, uh the stocks that that produce that um and that's one of the things you put in the back of the book there uh, basically a listing of all the different uh vehicles you can use to trade these different sector seasonalities so we list a bunch of stocks uh, several etfs um, that, you know, trade alongside with the commodities that they're in the business of producing or, uh, you know, harvesting or selling or that sort of thing.
3: Okay, and then how about uh, meat prices, things like cattle and hogs, those kind of things? What kind of seasonality is there there?
4: Yeah, there's a little, um, you know, uh, end-of-the-summer cattle trade that uh, we got into. There's a um, a spread that we employed this year where, you you, you know, you, you go um, – along the uh, uh the, the near you, you know you go short the near term and along the long term the longer term contract so um the cattle trade goes from it to, it's a longer one of the um, seasonal trade some of these are as i said before 12 days here but the cattle trade goes for several months um, you pick up into the uh, cattle around um Oh, this late late August, I believe. Let's see.
3: Uh, and this again, you're doing in stocks as well as commodity futures, right?
4: You're well, doing this is in the- basis of based on the commodity futures. The, the, the cattle trade actually starts in June and runs, you know, uh, just about six months all the way into the following year. So um, we pick a contract way out for that, like the the April contract. Um, but there's a, a seasonal, sp- you know, a spread you can do in the short term. So you know, if you were Looking to trade that, that cattle contractors, the, you know, the agribusiness ETFs you can trade. Uh, we also have listed a, as stocks that track it closely, you know, the, the fast food outfits that buy a lot of beef. So, you know, Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's are some of the underlying stocks that you can trade that will benefit from lower cattle prices. It's a bit of an inverse relationship there.
3: Yeah. And then uh, finally in your commodity almanac is currencies. Yeah. Uh, so again, the dollar against uh, the euro and the Swiss franc and British pound. What are some seasonality factors there?
4: Um, we have a uh, currently there's a there's a, a pound rally that, that that tends to happen uh, starting just around here at the beginning of October. Um, we have uh, mid December actually through November is this this British pound rally. There's an end of the year. Two month euro rally that, that tends to do well as um, the year comes to it and the euro sort of uh, begins to outperform the dollar going from the end of October through just after the new year. Um, done pretty well. Is what's it, uh, about 12 years, only three losses since the euro started. Uh, some got kind of hurt in 09, but uh, 08 did quite well. Um, so, you know. So, what are you uh, anticipating now as far as the dollar euro? Uh, you know, seasonally, I, I, I would suspect that the fact that, I, that many seasonal factors are, are seem to be firing very close to the, the, you know, historical patterns and seasonal rhythms, I would suspect that, the, you know, the year-end rally would, would appear for the euro there. However, the dollar seems to be strengthening. Uh, there's, you know, trouble over there in the eurozone. So, uh, you know, I think the demise of the dollar is probably, um, you know, come to a halt for at least quite a while. I still think there's lots to be straightened out over there in Europe. I mean, it was nice to see France and Germany, you know, arm in arm again, but I'm not convinced that that's going to be the have all the end all on the on the sovereign debt problems they have over there.
3: So I guess that's the larger question, is you see all these different seasonalities uh, that have these records, but then events seem to overwhelm the seasonalities to some extent when you have a major change like European financial crisis now. How do you, as a somebody wanting to profit from these things, right. uh, emphasize the seasonality history versus what's going on now?
4: Well, you, you sort of overlay them with each other. Uh, you know, you're looking at a, a the chart, the the move. You're paying attention to what's going on in the news. You've got some technical indicators, and you see, uh, you know, um, the euro going down here into the end of the year, and uh, you know, you have a some positive elements over there, you, you can get into, you know, anticipate you'll get that end-of-year rally. Um, but if, you know, <laughs> the euro was up high and things were just starting to fall apart o- over there, you know, after, it, instead of having gone down quite a, quite a while for, for the past several months, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be cautious getting into that trade.
3: So you, you have to kind of look at the historical thing as a background,
4: and yeah. then kind
3: of see what's going on now as an overlay. You shouldn't just purely framework. go on historical, yeah. is what you're saying.
4: It's a framework to to get a feel for, you know, which direction the markets have generally gone seasonally, historically, and you take into consideration what's going on in the rest of the world. And, um, you know, we like to employ, uh, you know, several technical tools, uh, different, you know, stochastics, MACD, you uh, can, can use candlestick charting, pivot points, those sorts of things.
3: So it's a combination of technical and fundamental and news-driven as to what's happening now. Well, you to what... can't
4: just jump into the seasonality blindly. You have to, um, you know, have a reason to make to execute that entry and exit. And a combination of news uh, and fundamentals um, with whatever's going on in the, uh, you know, drought and and, and seasonal uh, aspects, and also uh, you know, old-fashioned technical indicators.
3: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest is Jeffrey Hirsch. He is the editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders Almanac and the Commodity Traders Almanac. Uh, you can go to his website, stocktradersalmanac.com, to find out more about all the different seasonality factors affecting uh, investing. We'll be back after this.
0: Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions. Religious, scientific, political, or financial, Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction. Full of passion, wisdom, and wit, Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin Unscripted and Uncensored, the go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues. Head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored. Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business
3: my guest this hour is Jeffrey Hirsch. He is the editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders and Commodity Traders Almanac. Welcome back to the show, Jeff.
4: Oh, good to be back. Thank you.
3: And um, give them your website again and what they can find there at the website about all these materials we're talking about sure. here.
4: Stocktradersalmanac.com. Uh, you can find out about all of the Stock Traders Almanacs in the newsletter and order it. You can also see some of the archives. I believe it's the last uh, three months or so that are embargoed for some paid subscribers, but... You can peruse through the history of all of our different articles, including including our uh, sell signal back in April and uh, our annual forecast, which we put out last December, that is running rather close um, to uh, reality.
3: Now, in your uh, 2012
4: uh, almanac, you
3: make a pretty amazing uh, prediction over the next 15 years uh, that we're going to have a major uh, bull market. Why don't you explain uh, what that prediction is? Projection is, and, and why you come to that uh, conclusion?
4: Well, this forecast projection has been uh, in the making for several years. Uh, came to a full head that um, a year and a half ago, uh, in May of 2010, in a um, you know uh, article alert to subscribers, and also was featured on a page in last year's excuse me this year's almanac, the 2011. Um, And it's based on, uh, you know, a longer-term pattern that we've been tracking at the Hirsch Organization for um, several decades. Uh, we refer to it generally as war in the markets or how the 500% moves follow wartime inflation. And what Yale, uh, Yale Hirsch, the founder of the, of the Almanac and my father discovered back in 76, um, as I was 10 and, uh, around at the time was that um, these major moves in the stock market occurred uh, after war and were driven by the inflation generated by the uh, heavy government spending and we see uh, this chart that we have shows these flat launching periods it's um, I guess the reform broker uh, my friend Josh Brown has called it the uh, greatest chart ever um, it's hard to see in the almanac book we do have it on the on the website um and also if you if you look up uh the book you'll you'll see this chart on amazon and and, and over at the wiley site also which is all accessible from my, you know the statistical almanac site so what you see is the market goes sideways for many years during these crisis and war periods uh the turn of the century through the end of world war 2 and then we get this you know 45 degree angle 500% move during the roaring 20s um we get the crash and the depression and um you know after World War two we see another five hundred percent move up to the sixties. You see this flat period, the you know notorious secular bear market from 64, 66, wherever you want to start it. We tend to start it at the Gulf of Tonkin resolution in sixty four and goes through to that, you know, launch point in eighty two. Um and then we go up uh more like fifteen hundred percent uh From '82 to the top in 2000, even a little bit higher to the top in 2007. But we've been pretty much going sideways since you know the the tech bubble crashed in 2000, and when we had the you know financial crisis and that uh, you know bear market that drove the Dow down over 50 percent at bottom in March, a, a bit of a light went off, and I felt as though that this you know Pattern we've been tracking and and writing about—you know—we did a three-part series in the newsletter, uh, December 04 through February 05 was actually beginning to happen, and I likened that low in March 09 to the low in October, December 74, depending on what index you look at. And it began to come together for me that we were getting out of the uh, in the process of getting out of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. There's a deadline of. 2014 for Afghanistan, uh, that could be changed of course. And we've got this massive government spending, not just on the military, but on, um you know, financial crisis here. Uh, and it's just a matter of time before inflation, as we're starting to see perk up, it catches up with that spending. And then, you know, the other, I guess the main missing factor is this enabling technology. In the 20s it was the automobile. Uh, in the assembly line in the 50s and 60s, it was TV appliances, the suburban sprawl, there was that, uh, you know, um that drove the, the market there, and of course the microprocessor, uh, and the PC and the internet and the cell phone that drove the, the super boom of the 80s and 90s. So here we are going sideways for 10 years. That pattern's repeating itself. It looks like we're making a bottom. Uh, I've drawn out this 15-year projection, taking into consideration the four year cycle, seasonality, how these things operate during long term secular bear markets, how they operate during long term secular bull markets and um anticipate that we will begin to after testing 10,000 and perhaps lower a uh, couple of, or or two or three more times over the next several years that around 2017-2018 will begin to um will begin the next super boom. People will probably not realize it Uh, Whatever inflation that we have will begin to uh, taper off. Uh, I suspect that the inflation will be more muted this year. I think the governmental bodies have gotten better at masking it. That doesn't mean it won't have an effect. Um,
3: Inflation good or bad for stocks when it comes in?
4: In the short term, it's bad. It scares everybody. But in the long term, it inflates the stock market, just like the price of gold goes up when the dollar goes down. I mean, officially right now we have low inflation,
3: uh, so it's, that should be it's good for up stocks. in
4: a couple of percent. It's been coming off the ground uh, in the different metrics that, uh, you know, the Fed looks at, the PCE deflator, uh, the CPI, and the PPI have, have ticked up. But it's it's under wraps. Right now it's, it's, you know, officially, as you say, not a problem.
3: I mean, this but, has not been a typical kind of a cycle like in Vietnam where you had guns and butter and you had, you know, massive government spending causing inflation in the 70s and so on. This has not been that kind of situation, it, it had, right?
4: None of them are exactly the same. In the 70s wasn't like uh, the Depression, and the Depression wasn't like the, you know, financial crisis period of, of of the turn of the century. I think we're a little bit more similar, this time is a little bit more similar to the turn of the century. We had the panic of 03, the rich man's panic, uh, you know, uh, then, and then the bankers' panic of 07 which was also impacted by the quake in 1906. We've had the quake in Japan here. We've got sort of this long drawn out series of financial crises and sort of, uh, uh, you know, it, there's a different military involvement, but there's enough of a correlation for me that, um, you know, we've been going sideways for 10 years and, and more. Um, it, and we've got financial crisis, we've got military problems, we've got big spending. We don't have the inflation yet, and we don't have a new enabling technology.
3: What, what enabling technology is possible to come out? That, have you figured out what that's going to be yet?
4: If I figure it out, um, when I do figure it out, I will let you know. But we do have some, <laughs> some uh, um, you know, speculations as to where it might come from. I think it can come from either energy technology or alternative energy. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be. One or or another, but it could be from solar. I a little solar stock that I like that's that's doing some good things. Um, it could also be from biotechnology. It was Larry Ellison that said it several years ago that uh, you know the future is not uh, high technology; it's biotechnology. So those are two areas where I think we can get that you know new uh, paradigm shifting enabling technology, like the automobile or the television or the or the, or the microprocessor.
3: So basically, you're saying right now. We're still in the kind of bottoming period, uh, oh, but definitely. by 2017, in six years or so, uh, we'll hit the the low, and that's when the market will really take off.
4: That's that's what my calculations and what my my analysis tells me. You know, it doesn't have to be January 1 or December 31st, you know, 2017. It could be a little bit earlier. It could be a little bit later. You know, give or take a year. But um, generally, that's the the way it looks to me. We've got some work to do. We discussed, you know, some of the political. Uh, you know hindrances right now, I think that's part of it uh Herman Kahn wrote a book back in in uh I think it was eighty two is when it came out about the coming boom where he was seeing the the sort of uh policies coming out of the Reagan administration and how the public and private sector were beginning to work together and we'll need and we'll need to see some more of that before we can really take off and I would suspect after another election cycle or two we'll, we'll start to get that
3: very good. All right, we've covered a lot of ground. My guest this hour has been Jeffrey Hirsch. He puts out the Stock Traders' Almanac, Commodity Traders' Almanac. He has a newsletter at stocktradersalmanac.com. And I hope you've learned a lot about all the different seasonalities and ways to get an edge in investing with your portfolio. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Jeffrey.
4: Thank you very much, Jordan.
3: And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.